You may be seated. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Tim Merwin. I'm one of the pastor elders here at Trinity Community Church, and I have the privilege of preaching that scripture that Richard just read to us. Before I do that, let's pray together. Father God, we ask that you would now come and visit with us. Wherever we might be watching this live stream, we pray that you might comfort us as your word says. Lord, I pray that you would not simply comfort us with short-term solutions. Lord, uh, there might be a vaccine, there might be medications that come our way in the near future and maybe bring all this to a, a quick end. But Lord, we know that tomorrow there could be a new virus, there could be war, there could be other calamities that come our way. Lord, we're not praying for a short-term comfort this morning. We're praying for eternal comfort. So I pray through the preaching of your word, Lord, that you would reveal yourself and that you would bring comfort that is lasting, comfort that is eternal. Lord, we pray that you would do that right now in Jesus' name, amen. We are hardwired for comfort. We're all, all of us, on an all-out search for it. We educate in the hope of a more comfortable future. We make career changes because we believe that the new employment would lead to more comforts. We vote for a particular candidate based on uh, the platform that the candidate might bring to us that offers us more comfort. We desire to be comforted in the midst of our difficulties. In the middle of all the difficulties that we're walking through right now, if you think about it, we're looking for things that would give us a ray of hope, that would give us a sense of comfort while things are uncomfortable. We long for the news to proclaim some good news, something that would be hopeful, that there might just maybe, hopefully, be a medical breakthrough. And that all of this mess that we're in would be fixed, lives could return to normal, routines would return, and we would once again be comfortable. Where do you find comfort? Where do you look for it? Not only in times of viral madness, but where do you find comfort in the regular routine of your life? Have you noticed how quickly comfort can vanish? It was just a couple of months ago that perhaps you are um, in tune with your stock profo- profo- portfolio. <laughs> Thanks, Richard. <laughs> just a couple months ago, you felt good about your retirement fund. Those of you who enjoy working out, you felt good about going to the gym. Those of you who enjoy a healthy lifestyle, you now run to the refrigerator or the cabinet and you're digging out the Pringles too often. Your employment is uncertain. Where do you find hope and comfort in all that we're working through? Comfort settles us down. It brings us a sense of calm in the craziness of our lives. Well, You may be new this morning to our live stream. And I want you to know that Trinity Community Church is working through this book of Isaiah. 
in a preaching series. And so we actually began this series back in September. And I realize that a lot of you might be jumping in this morning. So I want to give you a very, very quick overview of what we've covered so far. This book, Isaiah, is in the Old Testament. It's a long book, 66 chapters. It's a prophetic book. And Isaiah is where we will be, not only this, uh, Isaiah 40 is not only where we'll be this morning, but where we'll be uh, for three of the four Sundays of April. Of course, next week we'll be addressing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then we'll come back to Isaiah 40. So we're slowing down things in our series because Isaiah 40 has so much to say to us. Well, Isaiah 40 also introduces for us, it's a major shift in what's taking place in the book. Chapters 1 through 39 of Isaiah. Isaiah is walking Judah through the coming attack of the Assyrians. And then in chapter 40, Isaiah is walking Judah through their captivity to the Babylonians. Chapters 1 through 39, Isaiah is addressing their current circumstances. In chapter 40, Isaiah is prophesying about their future circumstances. Chapters 1 through 39 reveals God's justice and his judgment and discipline. They see the people of God have rejected God and they are pursuing false gods, the false gods of the surrounding nations. In many ways, the theme of these chapters is who or what will you trust in? Chapter 40 reveals the comfort and mercy of God. Chapter 1 through 39, we could think of as the confrontation of God. His confrontation of his people. Chapter 40 through 66 is the comfort of God. It's the comfort of his people. And one more thing that you need to know about Isaiah 40 before we really begin to dig in here is that all four of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are the gospels. These are, these are the books that were written in the New Testament of the Bible to cover Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. All four of the gospels in their starting the beginning chapters, they quote from here, Isaiah chapter 40. That's amazing. Uh, we should note that. Why? How will God comfort his people? His ultimate comfort comes through the work and the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is being introduced in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he is fulfilling Isaiah chapter 40, he does this 700 years after Isaiah had prophesied. Now, if you're reading the book carefully, Isaiah, you will see there's this radical shift. Let's jump back to the text that was preached last week, Isaiah chapter 39, verses 5 and 6. It says, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. That's, that's describing the exile, the captivity of the people of God and the exile being taken away to a foreign land. That's chapter 39, verses five and six. Just flip the page. Chapter 40, verse one begins like this. Comfort, comfort. 
My people, says your God. You see, the message of comfort comes to the people of God when things are not comfortable. The prophecy of Isaiah is that they will be in the middle of their captivity to Babylon. They will be beat down, defeated, disillusioned, despairing. Nothing about their circumstances speaks comfort. There will be no visible ray of hope of comfort on the horizon. And that's where Isaiah 40 lands for us. Now hear this. Trinity is a church that believes in the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, which practically means that we're preaching Isaiah chapter 40 today, right in the middle of our lack of comfort. It's not by accident. We didn't come up with this text this week to address current circumstances. Actually, this text was planned somewhere back in November or December to be this morning, April 5th, 2020, right now. Here's the big idea of the text. God commands comfort. These are imperatives in verse one. He commands comfort to his people. And there are three voices in the text that will respond to that command by proclaiming and by offering comfort. The three voices you will see are in verse three. It says a voice cries in verse six, a voice says, and in verse nine, lift up your voice with strength. So let's dive right in. First of all, comfort verses one and two. Now remember, as I said, these, this follows 39 chapters of difficulties, of uncomfortable circumstances. And we might come to chapter 40, verse one and say, how can Isaiah even begin to prophesy this? How will God deliver on that promise? You see, the people of God had rejected God. The Lord then, out of his love, brought discipline to his people. This was his grace. It was his loving grace that they might see their sin, repent of their sin, sin and return to God. Remember that it was their prosperity that caused them to distance themselves from God. It was in their prosperity that they were in that place of saying, well, who needs God? We've got everything that our own hands can create and make. We too, in our day, are easily distanced from God. We distance ourselves from God in our prosperity. We see little need for him. Ray Ortland Jr. says, we brood over the bitterness of life. We think God is against us, but he wants to breathe new life into us. Will, he give, will we give ourselves permission to stop resenting him and start delighting in him according to the promises of the gospel? Now, verse one, where it says, comfort, comfort, again, that's a command, that's an imperative but not only that, it's, it's a plural command. It's comfort, comfort. And the focus here is not on the people's sin. The focus here is on God restoring. It is the comfort of the sovereign grace and mercy of our Lord that comes to Judah, sinful Judah. The promise of comfort was offered to them while they were still a mess. 
of a people. You see, this morning, the promise of comfort comes to us. Not when we've cleaned ourselves all up. Not when we've made ourselves what we would think is morally ready. And then the Lord will comfort us. What's amazing here is that the comfort comes to God's people while there's still a mess, a sinful mess. And this is how Christ comes to you and me as well. Before we look at the three voices, look very quickly at what the com comfort is to accomplish. It says in verse number two, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her three things, that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Real quickly, the three that's. First of all, that war has ended, meaning their exile would be ended. It would be over. God is bringing his people. He will rescue his people and he will bring them back home. He will walk with them. Their circumstances are not to go on forever. Now, what does that have to do with us? Well, Christ came and he ended the war. The war that we have with our own sin and death. He won our victory over sin and death and he did so at the cross and our circumstances will not go on forever. Comfort, comfort, our God says, because our God will lead us all the way home. He did so then, he will do so again now. The second that is it says that her iniquity is pardoned, meaning the guilt of their sin will be dealt with. Now, this is, this is not pardon like we think of pardon in our day. This is not God just simply looking at our sin and dismissing that and saying, not a big deal, you're pardoned. This is not a pre presidential pardon. This is God dealing with our sins. And he deals with our sins by sending Jesus Christ to die for our sins, to die in our place. That is what the cross is all about. Jesus died on the cross to bring us sinners who deserve eternal punishment, separation from God, and he pardons us. And he does that through his own son, where Christ takes our punishment for us. The picture here would be more like our current president, Donald Trump, pardoning a criminal by saying to that criminal, I will serve out your sentence. That's what Christ has done for us. The third that says, now this, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, that's a weird phrase, and it needs a little bit of digging into. You see, in the Hebrew, the original language doesn't translate very well into our English. This double for all her sins has a different meaning than the way it sounds in our English. It, it means that sin has been doubled over by God. It means sin has a top and a bottom and that all of your sin is covered in Christ, doubled over in Christ, that he and he alone is sufficient to cover all of our sins. He alone is sufficient to do so. And we'll see in weeks to come 
how that's played out in Isaiah chapter 53. So let's put the whole book together thus far. God is disciplining his his people in chapters one through 39. And he does so like a loving parent disciplines his or her child. The parent does this not to crush the child, but to guide the child, to lead the child. It's a loving act whenever a parent disciplines their children. The discipline of the Lord leads them and leads us to repentance and to bring us to a place of eternal comfort. Listen, God is not frowning over the repentant sinner. He delights over you. His posture over you is joy. You are his comfort, comfort, my, my people, says God. Wow, that's the sinful people of God that he's coming to comfort. God doesn't do what he does to reject them. He does what he does to call them and to call us home, to bring them and us comfort. Now, as I said, there are three voices that respond to that command, that plural command of comfort, comfort. The first one is in verse three, the voice that cries. This is the voice of John the Baptist. John the Baptist fulfills these very words. We could look at other gospels, but for this morning, we'll just look at one, Matthew 3, verses 1 through 3, which says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, Quote, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. What will this voice do? What will John the Baptist do? The voice will make straight the path, the pathway to the Lord, meaning he will flatten it out before the Lord. Meaning Christ is coming and John is to be this voice to the people, to his disciples of comfort as he makes ready the way of the Lord. What's being said here is that nothing in all of creation will stop it. There will be no obstacles. All will be flattened before him. God is coming and he comes to bring comfort. Listen to how it says it again here in Isaiah verse three, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the desert, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low and uneven ground shall become level in the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. He is coming. This voice is crying out. He's coming to answer the call of comfort, comfort. My people says, God, make ready for the way of the Lord. And that was John's job, if you will. And he knew it. He will later say, look, I'm not the main event. The main event is coming after me. The main event, Jesus Christ, who's coming. There's one who's coming, whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. John understood what his voice was to the people. He knew he wasn't the main event, that he was simply a forerunner. He was one who came to make a straight pathway to the Lord. He was a voice who was proclaiming Christ is coming. And Christ came 
And Christ continues to come. And he comes to the wilderness of our lives. He comes to the desert, which is our lives. He comes to the mess of our lives. You see verses three and four here, it's not a topography change. It's a heart change that Isaiah is prophesying. Our pride will be flattened and we will be humble. Make straight the pathway to the Lord. Our anger will be made straight. The valleys that will be lifted up are valleys of depression and discouragement and disillusionment and despair. They will be lifted up when we see comfort, comfort. My people, says God. And verse five tells us that when this heart change happens, it will reveal the glory of God. Again, verse five, and the Lord and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. John Piper says, says it like this. In the church, our view of God is small instead of huge, so marginal instead of crucial, so vague instead of clear, so impotent instead of determining, all determining, and so uninspiring instead of ravishing that the responsibility to live to the glory of God is a thought without content. The words can come out of our mouths, but ask the average Christian to tell what they know about the glory of this God that they are going to live for. And the answer will not be long. Oh, church, Trinity Community Church, dig into the glories of our God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Make it a study as to the attributes, the character of the Lord. And may our conversations be long regarding the glory of our God. Now, the first voice here is prophesying that John the Baptist will come. There's another voice. We see it beginning in verse six. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Who is this voice? Did you know grass withers and flowers fade? I'm not talking about the grass, the green grass or the beautiful flowers. Certainly those fade as well. But what's being referenced here? is humanity, flesh. We will not live forever. We are frail people. Nothing says frail like the times that we're living in. Reality is we've all done some withering this week. Somewhere in my 40s, I realized that I could literally injure myself when I slept. I would wake up in the morning and suddenly be, real, be aware of the fact that I had pulled my back by sleeping. It reveals this withering, the frailty of humanity. What about you? Some of you who are in your 20s are laughing at me right now, but 
Hang around. You will see. But God is permanent. His word remains forever. And truly, when you think about it, only his words will last. All of our voices, all of our words will one day fade. But God's words are eternal. This book is eternal. But not just simply the the words on the written page. These are eternal words. But consider with me, who is the word? God's word tells us who is the word. John 1 says it like this, referring to Jesus. John says, in the beginning, beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and darkness, the darkness has not overcome it. Now listen, here's what is going on here in Isaiah 40. Isaiah is prophesying of a coming voice. The first voice, John the Baptist. The second voice is none other than Jesus Christ, the son of God. He's prophesying that there is a voice who will come. It is the voice of Christ and he will come to our human frailties to the withering grass, fading flowers that our bodies are and that the human frailty that we are will not thwart the promises of God. Comfort, comfort, my people says God. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of the Lord, it remains forever. It's amazing. Even the fact that you and I will one day die, his word remains forever. Even in your weakness, even in your frailty, even in the middle of COVID-19, even in your ultimate death, the word of the Lord seeks to comfort you by pointing you to the one who is eternal, to the one who came to bring you lasting comfort, not shallow comfort, not not comfort that might come to us for a brief period of time. We pray for an end of what we're walking through. We pray for medical technology. We pray for the medical community. We pray for an end of, of what's going on. But hear me, there'll be a new reason to be uncomfortable tomorrow. What Isaiah is prophesying in his day then, in our day now, is that one, for them, they're looking forward, one will come, Jesus Christ. For us looking backward, one has come, Jesus Christ, and he offers you not some mere short-term comfort while your lives continue to be frail, while the grass continues to wither and the flower fades, but an eternal comfort found only, only in Jesus Christ. It was a crazy day that they were living in here in the book of Isaiah. I'm sure Judah would have said we would have never imagined we would be exiled and be held captive to the Assyrians and then to the Babylonians. They couldn't have imagined it. And that's exactly when the word of the Lord was spoken over them. But wait, there's an army of Babylonians. We have no chance against them. 
Grass withers, flowers fade. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And we might be looking at our days and saying, we never imagined we would be here in these circumstances. And yet we find ourselves here. And I'm saying to you, the same voice cries out in our day as it did thousands of years ago. This passage here is quoted in the New Testament. I want to read to you from 1 Peter 1, verse 22. It says, you have been born again, not of, listen to the words, perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And then he quotes Isaiah. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory, like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Why is Peter quoting Isaiah here? He's saying this, he's saying the word, the gospel, Jesus Christ himself, the savior, he will overcome all human frailties. Not even sin will keep us from the comfort of our savior because God here in Isaiah 40 is commanding it. It's an imperative in the text. Comfort, comfort my people, says God. Christian, you will have comfort. There is comfort even in the midst of their exile and there is to be comfort even in the midst of COVID-19. Bigger than a vaccine, a savior. Look to the word of God. Look to Christ. He is your comfort. Even as you're experiencing the withering of your life, withering grass, flowers fading. Isaiah is saying that a comforter will come. And I'm saying to you, the new Testament fulfills this in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is to be that comforter. They are looking backwards excuse me, they are looking forward with faith to Christ who will one day come and be that comforter to them. And we are looking backward. We're looking back to Jesus Christ who came and he is to be that comforter. It's calling us to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And not only do we look backward to Christ who came, but we look forward to Christ who has promised he will come again. When he does, he will take his people home. Which leads us to the third voice. The third voice is found in verse nine. It says, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Wow. It's back up to the middle of verse nine where it says, lift up your voice. And let's ask the question, who is the your here in the text? Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. This is the your here in the text is the people of God who are in exile. 
It's the people of God who, if they were to look out on the horizon, they would see there's no reason for comfort. The, the armies are still gathered. We have no hope, uh, visibly speaking, in our own human selves. We can't accomplish comfort. It's to that that the Lord comes and speaks comfort over his people, the people that are not yet home. And we know that the Babylonians will be conquered by the Persians and that God will raise up a secular king, Cyrus, and he will decree that the people of God are to return back to their home, Jerusalem, rebuild the walls, rebuild the temple. It's another story for another time. The your in this text is all believers throughout all time. We are to be a people who are to spread the good news of comfort. We are to be a herald of this hope of comfort. What exactly are we to proclaim? Well, verse 9b and following say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. This is, this is the people of God speaking to each other. Behold your God. It's, it's them reminding each other while in exile. And it's us reminding each other while we're walking through these days of COVID-19. Behold your God. Behold your God. That we're saying to each other, behold your God. Behold the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him. His recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. We proclaim in our day, we lift up our voice in our day and we proclaim this good news, behold your God. And the good news that we are proclaiming is none other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. We proclaim the gospel to each other. We proclaim the gospel to ourselves. We all need to be reminded of the truth that the gospel brings comfort to withering grass and flowers that are fading. That's God's call. It's an imperative in the text, not only to John the Baptist, not only to Jesus, but every Christian every follower of Christ who has repented of their sins and is trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, this voice is addressing us. Lift up your voice and speak comfort. Behold your God. You know, everyone is proclaiming something. Everyone is proclaiming some sense of good news. We proclaim that which we love. Those things that you love the most, you proclaim the most. Meaning you simply speak of them. We can't help it. We're hardwired to talk about things we love. We proclaim on social media. We proclaim workout plans. We proclaim ribeyes that we grilled last night. We proclaim our favorite sports teams or our favorite musicians. We proclaim movies and diets and vacation destinies. And we, we proclaim stocks to buy. Well, we used to. We proclaim, we, we, we can't help but proclaim and we proclaim things the loudest that we enjoy and love the most. Everyone's proclaiming something. And what Isaiah is commanding of us 
to lift up our voice with strength. Comfort, comfort, proclaim the glorious good news. Behold your God, the God who comes with might and his arm rules for him. Here Isaiah is saying, God is bringing you ultimate comfort. Proclaim that. Draw attention to God. This is not draw attention to yourselves. This is not behold me or behold you or behold the medical community. This is, this is behold the one who brings ultimate eternal comfort to withering grass and fading flowers like you and me. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come and join me. Here, Isaiah is saying, God is the one who brings you ultimate comfort. Proclaim that, draw attention to that. Behold your God. C.S. Lewis once wrote these words. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wine, wines, dishers, um, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians and scholars. Just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. Trinity Community Church. I don't command you. It's not my imperative. It's the imperative of the word of the Lord. Two times over, comfort, comfort. My people, says your God. I wanna encourage you to proclaim that message to yourself this week. You can do that through the singing of worship. You can do that through the reading of God's word. You can do that through the memorization of God's word. You can do that just by rehearsing the gospel to your own soul. When you're anxious, when you find yourself complaining and all the things that are going on in this weird season we find ourselves in, proclaim the gospel to yourself and then proclaim the gospel to other believers. Complain, um, proclaim it to uh, friends, pick up the phone. And all the distancing that's going on, I want to encourage us to, to close the gap of distance by grabbing the phone and having that conversation on the phone, but also proclaim to the world, behold your God to the glory of God, we pray. Let's sing. <laughs>